0: Hey guys, Davey Blackburn here. Before we get started with this conversation with Jessica Ronnie, I wanted to apologize for the poor audio quality that you might experience in this. It's definitely below the standard for nothing is wasted ministries. And sometimes you just get little buggies that come into your technology and it doesn't quite work the way that you want it to work. It's all part of trying to do all podcasts across the airwaves, uh, across Zoom. But I wanted to take this opportunity to publicly honor our audio engineer tommy travis because most of the time in fact 99.9 percent of the time the audio quality of our podcast is unbelievable and he is the one to thank for that and he also did an incredible job of cleaning up this audio as best he possibly could with the um poor recording that he had to work with and so tommy thank you so much for your hard work uh and we're gonna go ahead and jump right into this episode with jessica ronnie
1: Welcome
2: to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn.
0: Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Aubrey Sampson, our co-host.
3: Hello there.
0: Aubrey, this is the last chance for our listeners to get in on Ten ten dollar Amazon gift cards that we're giving away. You might be like, "How in the world?" Wait, hold on. You're giving away gift cards? Wait, how do I do this? Here's <laughs> to how. Amazon, That's
3: by right. the way. Hello, may have may have heard of it. That's a good place this to get a gift card. Great way
0: too. to start out your 2021. That's Hello. right. Ten dollars. This is how you can enter to win one of these gift cards. If you would fill out a survey for us, we would love to hear from you. We want to hear your input on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. So go to. Nothingiswasted.com dot com slash podcast survey, or conveniently, you can text the word N I W survey N I W survey to the number six six eight six six and fill out this brief survey. It won't take you, but man, two, three, four minutes to to fill out, and then your name gets put in on a drawing that will do for 10 ten dollar Amazon gift cards.
3: I actually have one of the reviews from uh, the survey that I want to yes. read to us because it's a really powerful one. All right. You ready for this, David? Here we go. You are doing a great job. Look at that. You're doing a great job. I appreciate your podcast so much. Some episodes are more applicable or useful to me, but they always surprise me. At 25 years old, I discovered my husband was chronically unfaithful to me. Mm. We got divorced one year later. I felt betrayed by my husband, his family, who I thought was my family, and my church. I went to your podcast wanting to hear more about divorced people who seek Christ through shame, guilt, or difficult emotional consequences. That said, via the NIW podcast, I've learned the most from unexpected people and interviewees. As in... I learned so much about loving God, waiting on Him or other universal Christian principles from people dealing with completely different issues than mine. Wow. I love that. Isn't that just so cool? So anyway, good. thanks. Wow. That is powerful right there that, that God powerful. uses stories um that you wouldn't even expect for Him to use. That's right. And He speaks right into uh, where your heart is. I love that.
0: Yeah, that is just so cool because you're right. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a story of, you know, any kind of story of hardship, whether it's one that yeah. is parallel to yours or not, it gives us hope. It gives us yeah. faith. It increases helps our
3: faith. That's yes. right.
0: We always say we're borrowing faith from other people, right? Ugh, when they so walk true. through it well, we're like, wow, I'm going to borrow your faith for a little bit. Before I have it myself, I'm going to borrow your faith. So this is actually the first conversation that we have with um, somebody that's an actual like Thursday normal release of the Podcast because so we,
3: first Thursday episode of twenty twenty one that's right
0: because we did one just recently we released this past Monday a special episode with some of our new nothing is wasted certified guides if you would like coaching one on one coaching someone walking you through a proven healing path um, you need to go listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it and you need to yeah, go it's so to good nothingiswasted.com slash coaching. We have 19 certified guides who are poised and ready to walk with you one-on-one through your pain journey. Nothingiswasted.com slash coaching. Uh, It's going to be a great way for you to start out your 2021.
3: Hey, speaking of the new year, Davey, I love our um, interview today with Jessica Rani. Yep. And um, one of the things that she talks about is uh, ways to connect with God, ways that she connected with God. And I feel like, you know, just starting out the new year, that's really appropriate. Some of us think about resolutions or we think Mm -hmm. about goals. But I wonder if um, listeners, we could challenge you to make your biggest goal, connecting with God, wow. more intimacy with Jesus than you have ever had before wow. in 2021.
0: That's I think so that'd good. be a really powerful year, right? It'd be a powerful year. You know, I just, all of a sudden my preacher brain just like flipped <laughs> on and I'm like, okay, wait, instead of making re- resolutions-
2: Uh-oh, here we if, go, here we go, made, bring it, Davey. What if
0: you made a, a goal for new revelation? Oh! <gasps>
3: That's good. From God. Say it again. Preach that.
0: Instead of New Year's resolutions, let's talk about New Year's revelation.
3: I love it. From God. Hashtag New Year's revelation. Right. Well, because the
0: reality is is God wants to speak to you. That's right. He wants to give you direction. He wants to give you comfort. He wants to give you insight. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants these things. Scripture tells us, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Yeah. And, And God is... He is gracious, right? He is generous with the Holy Spirit to give to those who ask, and He will give us that direction. But what it requires of us is for us to posture ourselves to listen and to yep. connect with God. And if that became yep. our one resolution for the year, quote unquote, that I think would set us up for a thriving um, 2021. Uh, that's our, our family. We Every year we create a word for the year. Nice. Um, and it's kind of like the word that's the focal point for us. And we're like, okay, we want to make this kind of the, the beacon of light for us this whole year. We're often surprised how God begins to flesh out that word throughout the year. Um, yeah. It becomes a little bit prophetic for us in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, last year, 2020 was the word power. And oh, wow. God did so many cool things you know, in our lives, showing us the power of the Holy Spirit in a lot of different ways. This next year, 2021, our word is presence.
3: Oh, that's so good.
0: And it's kind of a a double entendre because we're focusing more on the presence of God, Mm -hmm. right? That's what we want to be focusing on in 2021. But also we're focusing on being present with each other. And being present in the moment and not being swayed by distractions or, you know, on social media, looking down at your phone and, I or whatever exactly. when someone's
3: in the room. Yeah.
0: Right. right. And, and here's why. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. There it is again. He wants to make known to us the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, mm. with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So so that's our kind of our verse and our theme. for. I love that.
3: You know, I was actually just talking to a a therapist who works at Wheaton College this week. And one of the things that he talks about is really attending to the people that you're around Mm. Um, because he was talking about, especially in, in marriage or in friendship, other relationships that, um, those relationships will end if you aren't intentional about like not, like if someone walks in the room, you stop and acknowledge them, right? You right, look right. up from your phone and you say, oh, hi, you're in the room now. And so I love that presence is your, yeah. um, your word for the year. I yeah. think connecting with God is really interesting because sometimes we forget that we have a God who loves to communicate mm-hmm. and who always wants his children to hear from him. And mm-hmm we are, um, I think, created by God with different ways in which we connect with God. That's right. Almost like different
0: receptors, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, we don't need to talk about the Enneagram too much already as we're (laughs) kicking off 2021, (laughs) but, you know, different personality types connect with God in different ways, whatever your Enneagram numbers. But um, Gary Thomas, he's an author who has uh, something called Sacred Pathways, pathways. and he talks about nine different pathways, different ways that people connect with God think you can actually go on his website and take a little quiz if you want to, to find out. He
0: was the Nothing Is Wasted podcast guest, too. Yeah.
3: Oh, come on. Look at that. I yeah, wonder what right. episode that, that is. That was a we while ago. In the show notes. We
0: do need to put that in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll we find that, make sure the that, we put that in the for the show, show notes for you. But
3: he talks about nine different ways you connect with God. So some people connect with God through nature. Mm-hmm. They find God's presence there. Some people connect with God through... Um, the senses, like the arts and music or even smells. Some people connect with God through traditions, symbols and liturgy, liturgy and rituals. Some people connect with God through silence and solitude and simplicity. Some people connect with God through like, uh social work and yep. activism fighting for justice, some people connect with God as caregivers, like as they love right. other people, they sense the presence of God with yep. them. some people connect with God just through celebration worship right. like right. i'm gonna I'm gonna sing loudly, i'm gonna raise my hands I'm gonna dance, wave my hanky around, and I'm yeah. gonna connect with God that way. Right. Some people connect with God really contemplatively, like just being quiet before him, yep. adoring That's him me, by considering, the way, I'm considering him is that you Davy? Yep. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm like almost, I'm not all of these, but there's a lot of them. I'm <laughs> like, oh yeah, connect yeah, with God multiple, there and there and there. Yes, you can multiple have multiple.
0: Spiritual pathways. And
3: then the last category he has is um, intellects, right? We yep. connect with God intellectually as we're one learning one. or as we're gleaning from him. And so I say all that to our listeners because I want you to know there's not one perfect way to connect with God. God has designed you specifically with intentionality and with creativity, connect with him in different ways, in different seasons of your life, because he wants to be intimate with you because he loves you.
0: And I think it's so easy that if you, if you notice somebody who connects in a different way than you do, and that person maybe is kind of been like a a spiritual mentor or, or hero to you, you can begin to think like, man, I must not be I must not have Mm. as as much faith or be as close to God because that's not particularly the way that I connect as a contemplative and an an intellect. That's how I connect with God. I love reading the Bible. I love reading commentaries on the Bible. I love digging into theology. I love learning, 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 right? I have an insatiable hunger for knowledge uh, about God. And that really feeds my spirit and my love for God. That's not everybody, and so you that's could right. go, man. I, you know, wow. I see Davies reading all these different things, He's, and but that's not me. I can't do that. Christy is a naturalist, so she loves to be in nature.
3: That's Kevin too. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: and that kind of goes along with that Enneagram seven. But you know, it <laughs> seems like right. Kevin's a seven. Yeah, it seems do- like it that does. correlates. But here's the thing. The point is, discover what that is. You can yeah. you can pick up Gary's book. You could just Google spiritual pathways. And you begin to discover your own unique way to connect with God, and it begins to stir your affections for God in a new way. That would be a great goal in 2021, to discover what your spiritual pathways are.
3: Revelation over resolution. That's I right. love it. That's right. Jessica Ronnie has a lot of wisdom for us today as she shares her story of where God met her in her deep, deep pain, her husband as well. It's really powerful. And she talks about um, connecting with God through that. So let's go ahead and take a listen to your conversation with Jessica.
1: Jess, it's so great to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining me.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, your story is a really fascinating one. It's an incredible story. Um, just a little bit of the things that I've kind of followed from you guys and seen on your Instagram and stuff. I've just been so enamored. I've been so excited about this conversation because I feel like it's very parallel with ours. Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like we're going to have a lot that we can talk about. Yeah, and, I think so. Uh, I feel like you're going to educate me. You're going to train <laughs> this family that's trying to blend on how to blend these families. And maybe we
1: can get some really great um, just insight out of this. But uh, I'm also excited because I know that you um, have a unique ability to articulate this story in a way that really brings healing to people. And so excited to join excited to have you join us. Uh, I would love before we dive into your story, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your family. Now, obviously it's going to give away a little bit of your story, just tell us a little bit about your present day family, where you guys live, and, and what you guys do.
2: Okay, sure. Um, we live in Gallatin, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes outside of Nashville. Um, I am a mom to eight children, ranging in age, <laughs> Let right? Let that sit in I'm for a second. Like, Let that no. sit in, listeners.
0: <laughs> a <laughs> <This> mom t- <laughs> to eight children. Holy right? cow. <laughs> um,
2: four, or no, five. She had a birthday. Five to 17, um, we currently, I wouldn't
0: blame you if you couldn't remember the ages. It's oh, okay.
2: <laughs> you know, I scheduled this interview today thinking they would be back in school and they're oh. home. So I am hunkered down in our sunroom having Man. this interview. They all have their screens in front of them. So they should be quiet for a while.
1: Good for a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Um, so yeah. eight, eight children. Keep going. Sorry. Eight
2: children. Um, author, speaker, nonprofit, founder. About to be podcast host. I launched All right. um, a podcast in a couple of weeks here.
1: Congratulations. Thank
2: you. I that's think that's fun. about it.
1: Wow, that's awesome. And you're doing it in a really good setting, Nashville, right outside of Nashville. That's great. Yes. Um, not only is it a cool city, but it's a great place to launch podcasts and to mm-hmm. connect with people and really um, broadcast the story of Jesus. It's great. So um, I I want to get into this because eight children was not entirely uh
2: no it wasn't your plan plan. by any
1: means no and so i'd love to hear if you can just take us back to what you would consider kind of the beginning of your story and your life beginning to unravel
2: okay let's
1: um let's let's talk through that
2: well we have to go back quite a ways about 16 years to 2004 um i was pregnant with my second child i had a one-year-old son caleb with my husband jason And I went to what I thought was a routine ultrasound appointment. And while I was there, I was told that my baby had suffered a stroke in utero and that he or she would die. And it was suggested that I terminate because there was no hope. And the doctor's words rang in my ears as I walked out. She said, you're young and healthy. You won't have any problems getting pregnant again. So I would suggest terminating and just moving forward with your life. And, um, so I pulled over, I, I, we didn't have cell phones back then. I pulled over to yeah. a pay phone and called my husband, Jason, and relayed the news to him and just said, um, just explain what I had just heard. And he said, are you okay to drive? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, okay, well, I'll see you at home in about 30 minutes. Wow. And I walked into our apartment at the time and he was on his knees already praying for me and for wow. our baby. And we knew that, um, terminating the pregnancy was not an option for us. Um, we were going to put our baby's life in God's hands and just trust that, um, God's will would be done. And that began my journey of really wrestling with my faith. And I always call that the turning point in my faith. That's when it wasn't just religion anymore to me. I had grown up in church, um, gone to church my whole life, uh, was a believer. Um, but yet Jesus wasn't real up until that point when I was told my baby was going to die. And then you get real serious about, um, entering the throne room of heaven and begging for your child's life at that point. And so for the next four months, it was just an intense wrestling, um, back and forth one day high on faith and belief. And then the next day feeling like, when is this going to end? When is my baby just going to die and I can get on with my life? And um, he did not die. He was, um, I had a scheduled C-section, August 12, 2004. And they lifted him out of my belly and he started screaming with life. And I just wept in relief. I couldn't believe that my baby was alive. They whisked him off to neonatal. He had brain surgery three days later. Um, and he continued to surpass everybody's expectations and thrive and grow. And we were handed this baby two weeks later and sent home. <laughs> and
1: wow. Jason
2: and I kind of looked at each other like, okay. And that began our life as special needs parents.
1: Wow. So, um, yeah, there was obviously some, some permanent damage from the, um, mm-hmm. the the stroke that he had in uterus. Right. Throat, so. How did that begin over the next couple of years to manifest itself? What did that look like?
2: Um, he he had severe hydrocephalus, which means um, his ventricles were full of cerebral spinal fluid when he was born. And when he was lifted out of my belly, his head was the size of a two-year-old's. Mm-hmm. So they split me open from one side to the other wow. just to get him, get his head out of me. Um. And I guess how this really manifested, he he was just delayed and everything, but we didn't see it so much until like those markers are supposed to be met, mm-hmm. um, like crawling. He was even really tenacious with things like he, he wasn't really supposed to ever have mobility, but he would crawl dragging his head along on the ground. Oh. Um, and even like, putting him in a high chair to feed him. We had to put the boppy around his neck just to stabilize it because his head was so big. And I don't think we ever really defined him like as our special needs kid. He was just Lucas, our son. And we knew we wanted more children and we weren't going to allow fear to hold us back from that. And he was just Luke and we learned to adapt. Um, He didn't sleep for five years. (laughs) That was really hard. I didn't sleep a lot either because I was so terrified that he would suffocate in the middle of the night. If he were to manage to somehow flip over, he couldn't have lifted his head back up. So I just sat there and stared at him. And yeah, we just adjusted. Um, I look back now and just think, I just kind of rolled with it. But part of that rolling with it, I think was we had another um, huge trauma on the horizon that we had to deal with so luke just kind of integrated into our family and we made the best of it
1: wow do you remember you know i want to i want to get to the, the you know the next chapter there with that big trauma that you just referenced but do you remember at all kind of this emotional spiritual climate of the household during those you know early stages with luke what, what, what was that like? Because I know you said it wasn't until he was kind of diagnosed in utero that you really began to, um, you know, lock in in your relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord. But what was what, what was kind of your, uh, if you can remember, I know this was so yeah. long ago, but what was kind of your, your conversations like with the Lord, the spiritual, or was it just, man, we're just like trying to figure this whole thing out over the next couple of months, it was a whirlwind. Do you remember there being some emotional, strain, oh, yeah. spiritual climate? What was that like?
2: Yeah, that's all detailed in my memoir, Sunlight Burning at Midnight. Now it's all those yeah. journal entries, but um, I've never felt more in tune and more um, like Jesus was my friend during those four months of pregnancy than, I mean, busyness and chaos has taken over, obviously, um, as the years have continued, but yeah. I was on my knees uh, reading Reading my Bible, listening to praise and worship music all day, every day, um, and raising a one year old. And that's all I did. All I desired was the shepherd's healing touch for my baby. And it was, I was willing to do anything to attain that. So it was almost like this goal based faith. But in the process of this goal based faith became so close, like walking with the Lord. And I remember a conversation before I had Lucas where I was on my knees just. Sobbing, And I said, Lord, when this baby comes, I know I'm not going to have the time to spend with you anymore. Like, because it was just hours of praise and worship and reading the word. And I remember him distinctly saying to my heart, no, but you will be obedient to what I've called you to do. And that is just as important as so spending time in the word and listening to praise and worship and praying all day long. I need you yeah. to be obedient to this task that I'm going to place before you. Wow. And that has carried me through the next 16 years of life, honestly, um, is that obedience is just as important yeah. as all of the, the religious stuff that we think we right. have to do.
1: So, Right. Wow. That's so good. Yeah. Let me, I mean, I'd love to camp there for a second because scripture, there's multiple places in scripture where, you, know, you hear from the Lord where he says, I desire obedience mm-hmm. above sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we absolutely reading your Bible, being immersed in God's word, immersed in his presence and worship environments, all of those things, super important, very important to prepare your heart and your soul for things within your life. But sometimes we don't have the luxury of being able to do that for as long or as consistently as what we would desire to do you know, namely situations like what you just found yourself in, where you're just trying to attend to every single need of this baby and looking forward to attending to every single need for a while and not hitting growth milestones and stuff. And, you know, Brother Lawrence writes this book called Practicing the Presence of God, where he kind of speaks to these things. Like, Mm -hmm. what does it look like while you're doing laundry, while you're doing dishes, while you're, you know, raking the yard, while you're going about the Day to day routine to really practice inviting the presence of the Lord into those spaces, and it sounds like that's kind of the the switch that had to happen for you. Yeah, you stepped into that season as a
2: mom of eight too. This has been a resounding <laughs> yeah, a resounding sure. theme, and Early I've been cow. really diving into Scripture lately and looking at these pillars of faith, like you know Joseph and David and. At times, their their lives aren't picture perfect, and they're certainly right. not sinless people at all. And in fact, they do some pretty horrific things at times. But right. they're always obedient to what God calls of them. And I think of Esther and Ruth, and how obedience to what He places in our life is such a big thing. As you know, someone trying to mature their faith and and to be more Christlike. I think um, yeah, it's great. Just really learning those. Lessons continuously are imprinted yeah. on me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you you already made reference to this, but on the horizon, there was another yes. trauma that was about to take place yes. and continue.
2: Um, so we, we decided to have another baby. Um, so we got pregnant pretty easily. And I gave birth to my daughter, Mabel uh, Grace, in February of 2007. And right after I gave birth to her, obviously immersed in you know a new baby and all that that entails, um, my husband Jason began having all of these really strange symptoms. Um, he was losing weight like crazy, really disoriented, vision loss, um, just couldn't. Things were not clicking in his body, and so he continuously went to the specialists and to his doctor, and they just said, "You have type one diabetes. You have to somehow." your sugar levels under under control Mm. and we he kept saying i don't understand this he was a personal trainer he owned a gym he was a tennis professional um he played against serena and venus at one point like the epitome of health and fitness yeah and if anybody knew what he was doing he knew what he was doing and um just could not figure out what was going on so One night I turned to him when Mabel was around six months old. Um, Our oldest son, Caleb, was five. Lucas was three. Mabel was six months. And I just said, hey, are you feeling okay? Because he would have good days and bad days. He was like, yeah, I think I'm I'm good. And I said, I'm just going to quick run to my dad's house, and I'll be right back. Um, Can you watch the kids for a couple minutes? He was like, yeah, that's fine. And I pulled into my dad's driveway, and my phone rang, and I picked it up. And it was Jason. And he said, Jess, call 911. 911. Call 911 and the phone went dead. Oh and so I ran into my dad's house. I said, Dad, something just happened with Jason. Uh, we got to get home immediately. So I rushed back home. There was an ambulance and cop cars and all kinds of paramedics and fire trucks. And I rushed inside and Jason was on a stretcher. And one of the paramedics pulled me aside and he said, Your husband had a seizure. But right before he seized and passed out, he had enough sense to put a movie in for Caleb. Put Lucas and his in his exerciser and strapped baby Mabel in her bouncy seat. And then he seized yeah. until he passed out. So that became a really long night. Um, yeah. uh, we ended up at the local hospital where I just remember you remember the strangest things like during times of trauma. Yeah. I'm sure you can relate. Yeah. But um, I remember sitting on the floor with my sister and they were running all these tests on Jason and just obsessing about baby Mabel and just repeatedly saying to her, who's going to feed Mabel? I I need somebody to bring me Mabel because I was almost exclusively still nursing at this point and just fixated on this one thing that I could still control in my life when like the rest of my life seemed completely out of control. And I just remember a young doctor coming up and kneeling down beside me and saying, we're going to run an MRI just to rule out the possibility of a brain tumor. And it just all clicked. I just knew in that moment, I said, he has a brain tumor. And sure enough, um, there was a baseball sized brain tumor. So they rushed him down to the bigger hospital in Grand Rapids um, and prepped him for immediate surgery. And they removed this baseball sized brain tumor. And they said, we're going to do a biopsy on it. And it came back just to stage two. And they sat us down and they said, you have the option to watch and wait if you want. Um, We don't have to do chemo and radiation at this point. But just so you're aware, these tumors do have a tendency to return. And when they do return, it's often with a vengeance. So Jason felt like a new man. He felt amazing. Um, It had been like a year since he had felt that good with this tumor or maybe longer, this tumor growing in his head. And he left that hospital with a new lease on life. And we just thought, you know, God's tested us with Luke and he's tested us with Jason. And there's we're just going to be left alone for a while with sort of our mindset. Like we're going to go and live in peace and that highway of holiness. And we are just going to hunker down and enjoy life. So in the midst of him feeling real good, um, we accidentally got pregnant again. And um, it was during this pregnancy that he was having quarterly MRI appointments just to ensure that the tumor wasn't growing back. And so um, this continued for about a year and a half. And in this process as well, Lucas is screaming constantly, weeks on end, just screaming and screaming and screaming and banging his head. And we're bringing him to all these specialists and they can't track down what's wrong with him. And finally, they suggest that we do an MRI on him. So he undergoes an MRI and he has Chiari malformation and a tethered spinal cord which in essence, according to my understanding, means that his spinal cord was growing into his brain, causing like migraine headaches. So I'm about 20 weeks pregnant at this point. Lucas now needs to have brain surgery, and Jason is going to quarterly MRI appointments. And this is, let me get my timeline straight here, around May of 2009, And I already have a lot of anxiety around the 20-week ultrasound appointment because of what occurred with Luke. So I go and I have that. and Everything looks perfect with the new baby, and we can, like, check that off. Okay, good. Lucas has his surgery a couple weeks later, and that goes remarkably well. The screaming subsides. He's happy. There's peace again. Check. Good. Two weeks after Lucas's brain surgery, Jason has his quarterly MRI appointment, and we're just like, okay, let's just... We're going to have a breakthrough here. Everything's going to be great. And I get a call. He's at the hospital on his lunch hour. Just the tumor's back. They told me I have to check myself into ER immediately. So I'm, you know, 20 weeks pregnant with three young children, six, four, and two, and pregnant, I think, at this point. And it's now, like, who's going to watch the kids? How am I going to get to my husband? How am I going to, you know, all this juggling, which is insane. And so he undergoes another surgery the next day and they remove another baseball-sized tumor. And this time I'm in his room holding his mom's hand when the doctor comes in to give us the biopsy results. And he just said, I'm very sorry to have to tell you this, but it came back a stage four glioblastoma, which is the worst kind of brain cancer Mm -hmm. with a life expectancy of about 14 months. So We didn't have a choice after that. He had to do chemo and radiation. And this continued for the next about year and a half. And Jason lost his battle to brain cancer August 24, 2010. And I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a three-year-old. And baby Joshua was born in the midst of that. He turned one the month after his dad died.
1: This. wow jess i you know i don't know how you absorbed all of that you know back to back to back i, I can just kind of i could feel some of that anxiety that you were speaking yeah. of, especially <laughs> those three things that you're okay check everything right. seems good and then finally the last one where you guys received that terrible news about jason but what do you can you just kind of maybe um us a window into was your what was your response there what was your reaction you know your deep heartfelt reaction toward god toward your circumstances toward what was going on um particularly when jason lost that battle with brain cancer what were the the next few days and months like for you
2: um i've done a lot of thinking about this and when i was pregnant with luke I always refer back to Psalm 23. Um, When I was pregnant with Luke, I stayed extremely close to the shepherd, and I allowed him to provide that peace. And when I went through everything with Jason, it was like I took the rod out of the shepherd's hand, threw it off to the side of the road, and stomped off into the woods on my own. Um, There was a lot of anger. And I do believe God can handle our anger. There was a lot of wrestling. I never... um, like threw away my faith or there was always faith, but there was a lot of what are you doing here, God, this yeah. is not fair. And I don't want to do this and just wailing and wrestling and anger. And it took a couple of months to kind of work through all of that and come to a peace and come to an acceptance that he is God and I am not. And that's what I always come back to. I couldn't see the whole picture and now 10 years later, like I do see glimpses of, of the bigger picture. And so getting to that place of faith and trust is easier for me at this point, but it was really, really difficult in those beginning days.
1: Um, I'm not sure how to ask this, but you know, uh, thinking about like the last few months of Jason's life, how much conversation did you guys have the two of you around life, death, everything that was happening. I mean, I, I know that these kinds of situations tend to um, clarify mm-hmm. the essentials in your life quite a bit. Uh, do you remember any of uh, what the conversation climate was like? Between yeah. The two of you guys?
2: We talked a lot. Um, I'm a communicator and he was as well. Um, yeah. Both fir- first firstborn, kind of strong willed, um, yeah. passionate kind of people. And um, he, We would talk a lot about, he didn't really ever come to grips with the fact that he was dying until probably two weeks before he died. And even, in fact, continued to do personal training at the YMCA about two weeks up until dying. And then his boss called me and said we can't do this anymore. He stumbled around everywhere. He couldn't see where he was going, but these people still knew that it gave him a purpose to get up out of bed every day and go train. So we had a lot of those conversations. Um, He, one of our favorite movies was Moulin Rouge, (laughs) maybe not the most appropriate, (laughs) but in it, you know, Satine, the dying heroine tells uh, Christian to tell his story. And, he would always say that to me in those final days tell your story you have a story so tell your story and honestly i thought it had a lot to do with my life with him and as it's kind of unfolded i realize it has a lot more to do with special needs and awareness and advocacy and
1: wow.
2: um but as he even was dying like he was having conversations with angels and he was talking to his friend who had died before him and I'm so thankful that I got to sit beside him in that final week because nothing was left unsaid. Like there was a peace and there was closure. We said it all. And it's amazing to me how much comfort a person receives when they're dying. And having witnessed that up front, it's, it's, um, it's taken away all fear of death for me.
1: That's so cool. Wow. I'm so glad you said that. You know, I hear those things, um, kind of witness those things, but just to hear someone else affirm that, you know, that this, I, I believe this is where scripture says for us, as believers, where your death is your sting. Mm-hmm.
2: It wasn't scary for him. It was, um, and there was an wow. immense amount of peace. He was comforted. And as he drew closer and closer to that last breath, there was more and more grace and comfort provided. Wow.
3: Nothing is Wasted podcast friends. It's Aubrey, your co-host. I'm cutting into this episode because I wanted to tell you to head over to our partner program to hear the bonus episode this month with me. Davey and the team were kind enough to ask me to share my healing journey through sexual assault as the bonus episode this month. And I believe God wants to meet you with what he has shown me regarding this topic. And he has shown me a lot. If you or a loved one has experienced sexual assault or sexual abuse, which is unfortunately so many of us, I really want to encourage you to sign up for our partner program and come listen to me unpack what God has shown me through my pain. I believe together we can find healing and wholeness. If you want to catch my bonus episode or any of our other bonus content, head to Nothing Is Wasted dot com slash partners to sign up to make a reoccurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. If you are hesitant for any reason about committing to $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a little preview of my conversation. When I was in middle school, I was sexually assaulted on a school bus by some high school boys that were bused with middle schoolers. And um, I don't need to go into all the details, but they invited me to the back of the bus and I thought they were the cool, cute, older boys. And um, one day they held me down and they did things that they should not have done to me. And I um, got off the school bus that day and stood in front of my parents' house. And I can remember very distinctly thinking I should go in and tell mom and dad what happened but there was a voice and I now I can recognize that was the voice of the enemy that said what happened to you was your fault
1: so then over the next few months and years you're juggling four kids one
2: not um, years
1: <laughs> oh no a
2: couple months yeah
1: oh wow right okay.
2: This is where right. yeah. Was, okay,
1: this is where we need to hear. I just assumed <laughs> no. I was assuming years. I assumed very wrongly.
2: <laughs> we worked a little faster than you guys
1: did. <laughs> I love that. No, I think it's great. And that's the thing is what's so interesting is you never uh, people will often kind of presuppose or prejudge how what timelines are for people. Right. And when you and I, people like us who have experienced this, you have. I actually heard my aunt say this one time that those who had a really healthy, strong marriage mm-hmm that ended because of death, you know, um, they tend to get married faster because they understand the value of marriage. Mm-hmm. They understand they are not that good as a single person, you know, they yep. only are. And so they, they know how enriching a life can be when you have a really strong um, marriage, a partner mm-hmm. in life right there next to you. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I, I want to encourage people who uh, kind of look on to situations and go, Wow, that seems soon to not because you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You don't understand. Uh, and particularly when you meet somebody who maybe also has gone through some pain, you cut straight to the chase. Right. All the important things of life get out on the table fast.
2: Very quickly. And yeah, I want to speak to that moving on too quickly too. When your husband battles brain cancer for three years, by yeah. the time he died, I was to a point of acceptance yeah, so it wasn't yeah. fast. I had worked through a lot of that stuff and really hadn't had a husband for a really long time. Wow. And um, even Jason's mom pulled me aside at his celebration of life ceremony and said, I'm praying for your next husband because I know you can't do this wow. life by yourself. So she is a woman of faith and she even saw like Jess is going to need help because this, so this is a lot of life that... She still has to live.
1: Don't you love when you have kingdom people around you when you walk through a tragedy like this? Especially people who, uh, they're very pivotal, significant people like Jason's mom. Right. Someone you needed to hear this from, right? So you could alleviate you of all guilt.
2: And telling everybody else, Jason's mom gave me permission. So, right. It just sort of wipes out any doubt. Like, check your doubt. Jason's mom saw this coming. So...
1: Well, talk, talk to us about that. What was that process like?
2: Okay. Well, um, so the next couple of months were extremely lonely. And on Halloween night, I decided to get all the kids dressed up and take them out trick-or-treating like a good mom and show Facebook world I was doing just fine with my, <laughs> you know, happy pictures.
1: Ironic this Halloween night right. when you're wearing masks. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And
2: I get home and I put the kids to bed. And I had blogged through this whole three years Um, with Jason's cancer as well so I was you know keeping up the masses and just doing periodical updates on life and what that was looking like and decided to check out my blog and there was a comment on it she said I have no idea why I'm telling you this but there's a widower in Oklahoma who lost his wife to brain cancer four days after Jason died he has three young kids and I just think you could be a source of encouragement to him this woman wow. lived in Pennsylvania. I had no idea who she was. So I just checked out. I tried to find his blog and couldn't find it. Wrote her a little note said I tried to find this guy's blog. I couldn't find it. And she, she gave me the exact address. And then I went to it and I saw this guy whose wife had died four days after Jason. And he was really struggling because she was diagnosed in April and passed away in August. So wow. a very short window. Yeah. And he had a six-year-old a four-year-old, and a eight-month-old. Um, so I just left a little comment and said, hey, I'm in a very similar situation. My husband passed away, and if you ever want me to talk to, feel free to write me an email. And I got an email the next day, and that began just pouring out our hearts to each other and getting on the phone with each other a couple weeks later and never getting off the phone and meeting each wow. other that December where we contemplated getting married, but we did not. <laughs> so, um, wow. But we did get married shortly thereafter in 2011. And um, he That's moved awesome. to Michigan where I was living and I adopted his three kids in 2013. Wow. He adopted my four. And then we decided to move to rural Tennessee. And we <laughs> had another baby because we wanted to experience that together.
1: Yeah. Because what's, yeah. what's
2: one more at this point?
1: I mean, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we said, um, we didn't say what's one more at two. And we blended because... <laughs> right. Uh, th- what I hear two to three is just the like craziest and it, it has turned out to be that way. Yeah. So now we're kind of going, well, what's one more? Yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I would agree.
2: Like what's one more at four or five? It doesn't
1: wow. Yeah. go for it. Wow. <laughs> Talk to me about the blending process, especially you having a special needs kid. This yes. throws some complications into the mix. I mean, blending is difficult in mm-hmm. general, but you know, now as you guys are, you know, he's embracing that complication. And mm-hmm. just how did you guys approach this? What what has been some key things that you guys have kind of learned in that?
2: Um, the first couple of years were tough, for sure. Uh, just learning boundaries, even with each other, what we should talk about, what we probably should not talk about, because I know there is sort of this perception that you pour out your heart about your previous life with this new person, mm-hmm. especially when widows and widowers are involved. And we we came to the conclusion that that wasn't the greatest thing for our relationship
1: yeah.
2: to constantly live in the past, but to instead focus on the present with each other and making memories together rather than always dwelling on what we had with somebody else. And in fact, it almost started to feel at times, and I hope this isn't too controversial, but it might be like, idolatry because there is a sainted aspect when somebody dies yeah. and it wasn't good for our relationship to constantly compare almost this yeah. real present, sinful, quirky human being with this sainted yeah. pedestal of a person. Yep,
1: yeah. That is such a good, such a good point. I mean, you do notice that, that even, even in my own heart, I noticed some memorialization mm-hmm. in, you know, Amanda my late wife where you and it's good that you're dwelling on all of the great positive right. things about that person but you don't remember any of the frustrating things right and and now you're trying to compare you know apples to oranges in a sense right there and bringing and, and that right. to a
2: new relationship which only yeah. like undermines that relationship i think yeah
1: yeah and what, we, great, what yeah. we
2: understood, too, was I didn't know Casey, Ryan's late wife, and he didn't know Jason. And for us, we did talk a lot about them in the first couple of years. But yeah. then we decided that it was probably better for us to talk to people who knew them and to focus on us as we moved forward. And obviously, this doesn't apply to the kids. Uh, we have mom and dad in heaven, and they talk about yeah. them. And It's not to say they never come up either, but we did. We had to work through a lot of that in those first couple of years, like almost just like getting it out of our system. But now we're going on 10 years and it's not nearly as um, sensitive anymore. Ten years in because there's there's some roots to us now. Right. And I think as we continue, it won't be as sensitive because we have roots. We have a past. We have a history. Yeah. Um, but from day one, if I were giving advice to anyone, we've always made our marriage a top priority. And for us, that's included going on a date every single week. Um, it's coming together, just the two of us praying together every morning for our family. And even at the end of the day, around five o'clock, we go out on the patio and catch up for the day. And we tell the kids, you cannot be here. <laughs> Dad and I are catching up for the day. Love we love that. you. We'll see you later. I love um that and then i wow. think we've had to put a lot of boundaries around even extended family because when we got married we had 22 grandparents the the kids had 22 grandparents so wow and everybody kind of thought <laughs> you know they were going to have an opinion and we were yep. like Mm-mm. an opinion and
1: a piece yeah yes. mm-hmm. wow yeah that's a unique side of things that a lot of people don't understand when it comes to blending families is um how many yeah Uh, extended family how much of that kind of gets played into especially when there's quite a bit of your family sometimes that came and helped you during those situations and you know that's true for friends and family uh human nature tends to when they've helped you through a particularly hard time tends to uh kind of think that now that is the role that they should play indefinitely in your life and you know it, it, you have to put on kingdom lenses and go against human nature to recognize no that was my role in their life for a season, mm-hmm. and now I have a different role in their life, and I have to respect and honor the new season of their life and the boundaries that they put in place. How did you guys kind of did you did you catch any and maybe maybe it was spoken unspoken, but did you catch any pushback in any way or people making comments about the fact that you maybe intentionally stopped having conversations with each other or with you know others as much about your late um, spouses. Yeah, was there Uh, kind of some this feeling of other people kind of presupposing or judging within that or did you guys experience any of that? No,
2: we didn't broadcast it. And like I said, the first two years we did dump on each other a lot. And honestly, we we probably should have found a good therapist. Um, but we kind of used each other as therapists, which I would never suggest doing. Like go get a therapist and work (laughs) work through some of that, or like a trusted friend or a counselor or whatever you want to call it. But I don't think your spouse is that person to work through all of that baggage with, and especially with both of us coming from such a painful, traumatic experience and almost using each other as gigantic band-aids rather than like, let's sort out our stuff and then come together as two whole people. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: So no, we didn't get a lot of that because um, we ran away to rural Tennessee. (laughs) So, No, and that was part of it, too, I think was like solidifying our family and blending our family away from
1: all the noise. Is that something you would say is like prescriptive or, you know, is that something you would advise other people? Like, hey, if you're in a situation like this, it might be helpful for you to think through, you know, stepping out on your own. You know, I've heard advice like that. from people who are getting married just in general, right? Just kind of in a quote unquote normal situation. Hey, it's really good for you to go and kind of join your family together away from, you know, in-laws and parents like moving. Do you feel like that that is something that's additionally like even more important for blending families? Obviously it's contingent on the Lord's calling and stuff right. too with different people. But to what, how much did that benefit you guys? To what degree, I guess is what I'm asking
2: um it helped us immensely but i would say 7 years later we are desperately missing family now mm-hmm. as lucas gets older lucas celebrated his 16th birthday yesterday and as he ages and matures we and as the kids we have five teenagers right now just to have those extra hands so i think yeah. it has it served its purpose which was really solidifying us as a family but i don't know that i would say you have to step away, you just have to get really comfortable with boundaries, which can be really hard mm-hmm. because boundaries especially in like Christian circles aren't viewed as like kind in a lot yeah. of because you're saying no a lot. Yeah. No, this won't work for our family or no we're going to do it a different way or no this is how you know Ryan and I are going to approach this. And mm-hmm. that's hard until you yeah. kind of get comfortable with it.
1: Yeah. 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 I've noticed you use that word a boundaries. Couple times now. Yeah, And it's an it's a unbelievable word, fantastic word, something that all of us need to embrace. Um, but especially in situations like you and I are in, it is a very important mm-hmm. concept to embrace. Do you have maybe, you know, you guys have certain rules of life or boundaries that you specifically are, would like, Hey, I feel like this, these are things that almost every person in a situation like this need to principally kind of implement you know maybe not specifics but in general like here's some great boundaries to begin considering or thinking through
2: um well with eight kids we probably do things a little bit differently than you know other families (laughs) have a
1: 15 passenger van (laughs) we used to
2: we sold it last year um because we have a couple of drivers now But like, you know, in a family with two or three kids, you can offer options for meals like we don't do that. This is what you're going to eat or (laughs) you can grab a banana out of the fruit bowl. (laughs) Right. um, And we've always been really strict about bedtime. Um, Not so much that the kids have to go to bed, but everybody has to go to their room or like our teenage boys, the basement by eight o'clock because Ryan and I want some alone a couple times before it all starts over again at 6 a.m. the next day. (laughs) And I know people have said, how can you make your kids do that? And Brian and I look at each other like, we tell them this is what you're doing. And if you don't do it, there's going to be a consequence. Like, we're going to take your (laughs) phone. Now, as the boys have aged, like we have two 17-year-olds, you know, they come up and they get snacks and whatnot. But they understand the promise. Like, mom and dad are having mom and dad time. So leave them alone sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Speak to why why is that important? You know, I'm kind of baiting you on a question right now, but why is that important that you guys have alone time? Even you've got this crazy household of eight kids.
2: Well, because we realized when we, when we were dating, we had seven kids. So we've never been without a bunch of kids. So in order to make that happen and prioritize the marriage, which is a gift we're both passionate about. Having lost a spouse, we both have this dream that our grown children, with all their grandchildren, will come over and sit at our big honking, huge mm-hmm. table and eat together and drink together and just enjoy each other's company. And and we know to make that a reality, he and I have to be strong. And when you've loved and lost too, you do prioritize marriage I think more so and those little things that maybe you didn't do so great the first time around kind of become more important the second time around
1: wow wow it's amazing so right now you're really passionate about as you mentioned earlier advocating for special needs Mm -hmm. and um, what I mean obviously your experience has birthed this but what in your experience has really fueled this passion for you
2: Uh, When we lived in rural Tennessee, Ryan, my husband, started having um, panic attack symptoms that looked like heart attack symptoms and ended up in ER twice. And Lucas just continued to age, and he has profound special needs and severe autism. He's primarily nonverbal, although we've seen a lot more words come out in quarantine. We're not sure where that's coming from. And immobile, incontinent, like the whole spectrum of needs. He needs help wow. in every aspect of his life and being so isolated. And in such a rural community where there wasn't like accessible playground equipment or special needs ministries and churches or anything, we just started to look at each other and say, this isn't working. And if we're, if we feel like we're drowning, there has to be other parents who also feel like they're drowning. And when yeah. Lucas was born, I, I, promised him that I would start a a nonprofit in his honor someday. And I guess I always thought that nonprofit would be focused on children. But after going through what we went through in rural Tennessee and being so isolated as caregivers, I understood that caregivers needed the help just as much as the children. And if the caregivers weren't healthy and were struggling with mental health issues because they never got a break, the children weren't going to do very well either. So we opened, um, the Lucas Project respite chapter, which provided one day a month, five hours completely free of charge to special needs families. And that included the child with special needs and the siblings and the parents could go do whatever they wanted to do. Wow. And since we've moved, we kind of decided we can't like start a chapter wherever we go. Maybe this needs to be a broader um, mission. And our mission is now to provide recognition, resources and respite to special needs families. And now oh. now we just offer $1,000 startup grants to any community interested in starting their own
1: chapter. That's awesome. Man, what a, what a fantastic idea to really just uh, serve the needs of those who are taking care of children with special needs. Because um, you're right. I mean, there's no break.
2: Yeah, they're not doing and... very well, um, especially with this quarantine and COVID. Yeah. And these kids haven't gone back to school and... It's kind of peeling back that curtain and exposing these lives for what's really going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a situation where you can't give a child with special needs the same boundaries we were just talking about so that you right. can prioritize right. your health. You know, it's just a, it's an impossible situation in that regard. Right. Exactly. But you guys as an organization are stepping in to meet that need and that's powerful. That's awesome. Wow. Wow.
2: Yeah. I love yeah. it. That's my heart. <laughs>
1: How, um, how's your husband now, Ryan, right? Yeah. Um, how has that been with him kind of, uh, uh adopting this, you know, not just Luke, but also the situation, everything that, right. you know, it entails, you know, what, what's his journey? Man, I know you don't want to probably speak too much for him, but what, what have you observed in his journey, uh,
2: it's interesting. We we reflect on that. And he grew up next to two children with profound special needs, and he was wow. always the kid who was trying to get them involved in everybody else's playtime activities. Come on. So when he <laughs> met Luke, he just felt an immediate connection. And I'll be honest, Luke is more connected to Ryan than he is to me. Um, wow. He likes men. <laughs> he prefers yeah. men caregivers. I don't know yeah. what that's about, but. Um, and they're just father and son. He, Ryan, never balked at adopting him or my three other kids. Um, maybe he wishes he could change his mind at this point, but <laughs> it's too late. So, um, God,
1: wow! What a providential thing that God, begin, you know, wrote that in His story, right, to prepare him for you guys.
2: Wow. Well, and the funny thing, I'm the oldest of twelve kids. So talk about like, Wait. <laughs> right, right. Talk about like. Wow. So eight eight kids is a lot, but it's never felt yeah. like like out of the ordinary for me. It's yeah. just sort of this is what I've done my whole life, I guess. Bring it on. <laughs>
1: like. Just that's incredible. Well, when I saw your family all lined up there on maybe it was your website or Instagram or something like that, it was just the cutest family. I just I was so my heart just um, it won my heart quite a bit to know a little bit of your story, and now just getting to hear a lot of it is just so. So cool. You said he wrote a memoir. I did. Tell us about this memoir.
2: Sunlight Burning at Midnight. It's um, it's just a collection of my diary entries and then weaving the story of Lucas's birth and Jason's diagnosis. And it ends with me meeting Ryan. So it's that story. And then I'm contracted for a second book. And that's actually going to be more blended focused and um, kind of short stories about like what's worked for our family and just lessons we've learned and sort of a lighthearted, you know, carefree
1: read. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on that one because we're in the throes of it, you know, consistently every single day. I mean, every day you learn something as a parent, right? Your kids are growing up. It's all new to you. You're like, I don't, you know, so you're asking advice, but then we're constantly running it through the filter of okay, the traditional route of parenting in in traditional family, does that work? Or are we going to have to kind of alter that a little bit because of our situation? You know, it's just, there's not a whole lot of blended family stuff out there.
2: And especially with death, I think there are quite a few books like with divorce, but like in our situation, we don't get breaks. So, and to revert back to the question you asked earlier, why is that so important to you guys? I think that, when you to have those breaks as a couple, it's because we don't get breaks. Like there isn't yeah. another parent taking these kids every other weekend. It's us. So yep. we either need to carve that time into our schedule or we're not going to get it.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, I can't wait for this new book to come out. Um, and we're just, man, thanks so much for spending some time with us and diving into your life a little bit.
2: Yeah. Uh, where
1: where can our listeners follow more of what you're doing and follow your life because i'm sure it's, a, <laughs>
2: it's crazy. very entertaining
1: to follow i'm <laughs> right. sure it's very crazy <laughs> um
2: i am at justplusthemess.com and then the nonprofit is at thelucasproject.org and i hang out a lot on facebook that's kind of my jam well, my kids say it's yeah. where the, all the old people hang out so
1: <laughs> you're like well, right you <laughs> i guess i'm one of those
2: old people and then on instagram as well um just plus the mess
1: awesome Jess, thanks so much for spending time with us. This has been great.
2: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Man, I was really moved by that conversation with Jessica. The way that her story played out and the way that God is still working in her life and her husband's life is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Wow. Hey, I want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing the music for this podcast. You can find his music anywhere that you listen to music. It's absolutely tremendous and well worth taking your time to listen to. We'd also love to invite you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. That not only encourages us, it puts the podcast um, at the forefront of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Al- algorithms. It moves it up so that That's more right. people are exposed to what God is doing through these stories, like Jessica's and like others. Yeah,
0: and And we'd love to hear from you and not just that way, not just by rating and reviewing the the podcast, but also by taking our survey. Um, This is your last chance to take the survey. We're going to shut this down so, um, so we can begin to take all the different things that we've gotten from feedback and we can begin implementing some changes. I'm excited about the different things that we're going to be implementing uh, because of your feedback, but
3: yeah, it's so please great.
0: Give us your feedback, nothingiswasted.com slash podcast survey, or text the word NIW survey to six six eight six six. NIW survey to six six eight six six. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow me at Davey Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at OBSamp A U B S A M P.
3: Next week, be sure to come back. We have a really powerful interview with Josh Weidman, who, Davey, I have to say, he (laughs) is sort of your BFF now, right?
0: Yes. I absolutely love Josh Weidman. I love the Weidman family.
3: A little bromance started in this conversation. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yes, it did. Yes, it did. We're so excited to to feature him and um, his story and also his book. That he released. It's a really great book, The End of Anxiety. So let's listen to this little clip from my conversation with Josh Weidman.
1: I don't think I knew it was anxiety when it first started to surface, but I would say it started to surface when I was a kid. I used to have major anxiety over all sorts of crazy things. Uh, kids have anxiety, right, kids yeah. worry about things, but mine was a little bit. Uh, out of the ordinary, my mom at times would say, "Josh, you're such a worry But mm-hmm. then she would explain to me what worry wart was. She wasn't trying to be condescending. She said, "Let's let's try to change this about you. You know, you're worrying about things that are in God's control, not your control. Let's change this." And I had fears over the craziest things. And so I think I, I probably dealt with some anxiety all through my childhood years. It's always probably been something that had some real estate on the property of my life. Uh, Anxiety has had a mainstay and I've had to figure out how to use it, either channel it for good or stuff it down so it doesn't
0: get in the way of ministry.